Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John 17. We're going to continue uh, in our series this morning. John 17. <clears throat> I'm glad that uh, things kind of broke down the way that they did. Uh, it has allowed me to kind of deal with these uh, well, four verses in the first five of John chapter 17, all dealing with Jesus' prayer, uh, and specifically his prayer that, uh, that God be glorified through his life. Uh, I think this is something that uh, we need to uh, know more about and to be more conscious of in our own lives. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said this uh, in 1 Corinthians 1031. He said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As, as Jesus praised this prayer, again, I, I said to you that not only will we learn something about how to pray, and I think as we pray, we should certainly be praying along the lines that Jesus prayed here, but we also learn something about the very heart uh, of Jesus, uh, his desire, the desire of his heart to bring honor and glory to his heavenly Father. Uh, Peter instructed the church uh, on the proper use of spiritual gifts in 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse 11, as he makes this instruction, he says that he's giving this instruction in order that in everything God might be glorified. So again, throughout the scripture, it's not just Jesus, it's not just Paul, it's not just Peter, but throughout the biblical text, we find this, this mandate to bring honor and glory to God. And of course, when we speak of bringing honor and glory to God, it doesn't mean that we can add any glory to God, right? God is glorious, supremely glorious, infinitely glorious. But we can live in such a way that others see God for who He truly is in us. And that, of course, is the idea that we're talking about here when we speak of glory. Uh, Jesus just continues to pray that through his life, and of course, he's nearing the end of his life. Uh, he is only hours away from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, put on trial uh, before the, the Jewish court, sentenced to death, and then crucified and buried. And so he prays that through his life, God might be glorified, and ultimately through his death and resurrection that God would be glorified. And of course, the glory that Jesus is speaking of has everything to do with the manifestation of God's nature and character through his life uh, in everything that he does. And so what we see here is we get a glimpse of this desire of Jesus' heart. Even in this time of personal suffering and sacrifice, the desire of his heart was that people, as they looked at him, as they looked at what was taking place in his life, they might see God and who God truly is. And of course, our prayer should reflect that same desire. Really, our, our lives should reflect that same desire. It's been interesting over the years of, of ministry, and I was asked a question even over the weekend that went along with this. Uh, people have concerns about their, their salvation, uh, perhaps you have gone through a period of time where you really struggled with this idea of, you know, did I really trust Christ? Am I really following Jesus? Is there, have I really been born uh, again? And 
as people ask me that question, the way that it was presented to me over the weekend was this, you know, have you, have you encountered many people who are struggling with whether or not they still believe in God? Uh, and I know that there are people all across the country and around the world who, who discuss and debate whether or not God truly exists. But I will say this, for a person who's truly been born again, no question in your heart about the existence of God. And you can say I, that the desire of your heart is to glorify God, to honor God, to obey God. Uh, we should always put the word of God far above and beyond any kind of personal experience that we might have. Uh, but I think the word of God speaks to the personal experience that I had, and I believe that that. that Christians all around the, the world have, and it's this. Before I came to Christ, before I repented of my sin and trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord, there was no desire whatsoever in my life to bring glory to God. I wanted to glorify myself in the sense that I wanted to do well, I wanted to succeed, I wanted to be known as a certain type of of person, I wanted to be respected as a certain type of person, <clears throat> even though my desires might have been what people would, would even call good. I wanted to be honest, I wanted to be ethical, I wanted to be a man of integrity, but I wanted all of that for my own glory. My success, my effort, um, my progress in this world before I knew Christ, had absolutely nothing to do with bringing glory to God. But all of that changed in an instant when God saved me. I mean, from one moment to the next, the desire of my heart changed. No longer was the desire of my heart for my own glory, but it was for the glory of God. No longer did I want to go my own way, I wanted to go God's way. I, I wanted to know God. I wanted to, to know how to follow Him. I wanted to know what following Him should look like and how I could please Him in every aspect of my life. All of that changed in an instant. And that's what Jesus is representing here in His prayer to His Father. This desire in spite, I mean, there couldn't have been any worse circumstance than there was for Jesus right now. He knew what was coming. He knew that he was about to be betrayed uh, by the one that he had just washed his feet and had a meal with hours before. He knew the kind of treatment that he was going to get after his arrest by the Roman authorities. He knew that ultimately he would be sentenced to death and nailed to a cross where he would suffer the unimaginable agony of death by crucifixion. He knew all of that was coming. And yet... As he prays, his supreme interest was not in his own well-being or his own reputation. He was about to be humiliated beyond all humiliation. But he prays that God would be glorified in everything. And that's what we need to, uh, to be more mindful of in our day-to-day -day walk with the Lord I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read these few verses beginning in John 17, verse 4. We're just going to read verses 4 and 5. And the Bible says, I glorified you on earth, 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for, again, allowing us to focus our attention on the glory of God. And help us to realize that as we read the words of Jesus' prayer, as the disciples heard him voice these words to you, he wasn't simply asking you to glorify a man. No, he was God in the flesh. He was praying that God would be glorified, certainly through his life as a human being, through his death uh, on the cross as a human being, um, but ultimately as one who would be resurrected, glorified, and return to his place, his rightful place at your right hand, that place of authority, that place of glory. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our lives and the opportunities, that, well, the events in our lives as opportunities to glorify your name, Lord. And what a privilege it is for us to have that opportunity to glorify God through our day-to-day lives. Help us, Lord, to, to do that. Help us, Lord, to, to pray uh, in, in that manner. And, and I pray, Father, that if that is not the desire of our heart today, then I pray that you would open our eyes to the reality of who you are. Show us your Son and our need for a Savior and save us. Father, change our hearts so that we might truly desire to glorify you in everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Two things that we're going to see today are two, two kinds of glory that I'm going to talk about <clears throat> that Jesus talks about here in these two verses. There is, first of all, an earthly glory or a, a, the, the glory of man. How can I, as a human being, glorify God? How did Jesus as a man, glorify his heavenly Father. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about an eternal glory. Obviously, because of the nature of Jesus' prayer, we realize that there was a glory that he once shared with the Father that um, he was asking God to restore. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And in everything that we're going to talk about, even though we're talking about God the Son as he prepares to, to die for us on the cross, we can still identify with him in this prayer. We can still relate to him in his desire to honor and glorify his heavenly Father. Again, that should be our desire as well. And I think that, that as we go along, you'll, you'll kind of see how this all falls together and how this is something that uh, even though this is God the Son expressing his prayer to God the Father, this is something that we too as, as human beings, as followers of Jesus, can, uh, can engage in this kind of prayer and, and desire this kind of life for ourselves as well. So he says in verse 4, I glorified you on earth. And there's, there's where the, the point comes from, earthly glory. I glorified you on earth. And let me just say this as we get started. There is no question... All right, that Jesus glorified the Father while he was here on earth. All right, 
No question at all. He lived a perfect life. Again, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was obedient in every way. There was nothing that Jesus did that would have violated the word of God. There was nothing that he didn't do that he should have done uh, that the Father had asked him to do. Uh, He lived this perfect, sinless life. Now, you and I aren't going to be like that. All right? I mean, the fact that we're here today is admission that we've all recognized ourselves as sinners who need a Savior, right? And even as Christians, and I know that there are people in our world today that that teach this doctrine of sinless perfection, that somehow a human being can so advance in his knowledge of and relationship with God that he can become perfectly sinless. Let me tell you, I, I don't believe that. And I don't believe the scripture teaches that. Uh, We're going to stumble and fall. We're going to sin. And yet, God still loves us and we are still in a position to bring honor and glory to him through our lives as Jesus, the sinless son of God, did. So don't think for a minute that this is something that was exclusive to Jesus. As we talk about this earthly glory that he brought to the Father, I believe that in many ways, uh, you and I too can, uh, can pray, pray this same kind of prayer and bring this same kind of glory to God. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so this glory, this earthly glory that Jesus is speaking of here, again, it began with his willing submission to the Father, all right? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes of Jesus, And he says this, the Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as Jesus speaks of bringing glory to the Father, I glorified you on earth. One of the things that he's talking about, for sure, is this whole idea of humbling himself, submitting to the Father. God the Son in willing submission to God the Father. He was sent by the Father, and he accomplished all that he was sent to do by the Father. And let me just say that you and I should live in that same kind of submission to the Father. Uh, Submission is a hard word for us, isn't it? To to willingly line up under the authority of another uh, is is difficult for us. We like to be in charge. We like to be the ones with the authority, with with the power, right? But we know as Christians that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, right? We know that as Christians, as believers, that we are to voluntarily line up. That's what that word submit means. We are to voluntarily line up under the leadership, under the control of, under the the supervision and charge of one who's greater than us. And that's what Jesus is simply saying as he prays here to the Father. I glorified you on earth. I, I submitted my life to you. I listened to you. I obeyed you. I did what you sent me to do. And, of course, he says, I I accomplished that 
that work. You and I are to live as Jesus lived in submission to the Father. God has given us his word. We study the word of God. We proclaim the word of God. We share around the word of God. Why? So that we can put God's word to work in our lives. We submit ourselves to this. And where we find in our lives that our lives are out of step with the word of God, what do we do? Well, we repent and we fall in line with God's word. And sometimes that's a very difficult thing to do. I've been reading a book lately about men and women in the church. You know, there's big discussion these days about women's role in the church and men's role in the church. And there's a lot of discussion. And, and so much of it is really culturally driven and not biblically driven. Um, I know in one aspect of my ministry here over the years, I have, uh, I have performed weddings. I don't perform many weddings anymore. Uh, <clears throat> Most of the people getting married in our congregation are young people who have grown up under the ministry of Neil, and, uh, and, and he's asked to do their weddings, as, as he should be. And uh, I, I get to do lots of funerals, not so many <laughs> weddings. Uh, but in the past, when I did a lot of weddings, I can remember a time or two as I talked to the prospective bride and groom about their wedding ceremony and was kind of began to tell them, you know, how I conduct a wedding ceremony. Uh, is there anything that you would like me to add to this or take away from this? And on a couple of occasions, I had young women say to me, well, I would prefer that you leave out that part about submission. It's hard for us to submit. Even a young woman who is head over heels in love with a young man. Uh, and both of these girls that asked me to do this had already expressed to me how much they loved their, their fiancé. But I'd prefer that you leave that, that, that. Of course, in the old King James, it was obey, right? <laughs> Please don't ask me to obey, but much less to submit. Uh, but that's a biblical principle. And as a matter of fact, it, it is such an important aspect of, of a biblical marriage that I will... I refuse to do a wedding ceremony if somebody wants me to leave that verse out. just won't do it. If you have no intention of following God's word in your marriage, then why are you asking me to marry you in the church? It's hard for us to submit. And I think sometimes as believers, not only is it hard, to us, hard for us to submit to another person, but sometimes just as difficult for us to submit to Almighty God because we'd rather do things our way. Jesus, however, the Son of God, chose to submit himself to his heavenly Father. He even went so far as to say, my food, my nourishment, the satisfaction that I find in my life is to do the will of him who sent me. Can you say that this morning? the satisfaction of your life, your nourishment, that which you need, the thing you hunger for is to do the will of God. As a believer, that ought to be our attitude. We live in submission to our Heavenly Father, and by doing so, we bring glory 
to God. That's what Jesus said. And of course, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, <clears throat> let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I mean, Jesus was praying in the shadow of the cross. It was hours before his crucifixion. And his primary concern was on the glory of the Father, the glory of God. And as Christians... Our responsibility as we submit to the Lord is to do just what he has called us to do. To take up our cross, denying ourselves, and follow Jesus. And let me tell you, it has never been easy to follow Jesus in this world. Never. It's never been easy to follow Jesus. It's always difficult to live out what we profess to believe. But we as Christians should submit ourselves to God, to his word. And to those who he has called us to submit to. And in so doing, we bring glory to him. Second aspect of this glorifying of God on the earth came through the work that Jesus did. He said, I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This, this idea of, of service. Jesus said to his disciples, I have not come to be served but to serve. But let me tell you, a prevalent idea among most human beings is we want to be served. We're not so ready to sign up for serving others. We prefer to be served. <clears throat> but Jesus, our Savior, came not to be served, but to serve. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And what's interesting about this, of course, Jesus is talking about his imminent death, and he's talking about it in past tense. So certain was he of the Father's provision for him in these moments leading up to his arrest and crucifixion that Jesus could speak of it as if it had already been accomplished. And of course, we know now, looking back on 2,000 years of history, that Jesus did indeed accomplish all that he came to this earth to accomplish. He didn't fail in, in anything. He did exactly what he came to do. He did exactly what God sent him here to do. He, he didn't simply attempt to do the work that he was sent here to do. He did it. And again, I say all that to just emphasize this point. You know, Neil last week talked about eternal life. To know uh, you, God, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We're talking about salvation, what it means to be saved, what it is to, to know God. And let me tell you, the reason that you and I are able to know God and to be in a right relationship with him is because Jesus Christ accomplished the mission that he was sent here to accomplish. He didn't just attempt. He succeeded. He he accomplished. Again, from the cross, one of the most familiar sayings that we know of Jesus is what? It is finished. What many considered to be a terrible defeat was quite the opposite. It was the greatest victory ever accomplished for mankind. Jesus, according to Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the, the lost. And uh, 
And that is indeed what he did, and that is what he is expressing here. He lived that perfect, obedient, sinless life. You know, Jesus didn't live a long life. He was only 33 when he died. But for those 33 years, he succeeded where every other human being had failed. He accomplished for us what no other human being could have accomplished for us. He died satisfying the wrath of God, taking away our sin so that we might live for the glory of God. So if we're going to glorify God in our lives, then our lives must be characterized by service, service to others, service to the community in which we live. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just as Jesus was given a work to do or works to do by God and was able to say, again, we'll never be able to say as Jesus did that I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do, at least not to the degree that Jesus accomplished it. Jesus accomplished it perfectly, completely, thoroughly. But we have nonetheless been called to serve the Father just as Jesus was called to serve the Father. We have been given a work to do just as Jesus was given a work to do. And that means that we should be hard at work accomplishing that which God has entrusted us to do. And I think today that there are many Christians, I would even be willing to say most Christians, that don't equate hard work with being a part of the church. There were even a few chuckles this morning when I said we're going to have a men's breakfast and work day. That, that doesn't seem to, to kind of go along with our idea of what church is all about. Jesus came to do the work that God had entrusted to him. We as Christians should determine, desire to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. That ought to be something that characterizes our thoughts and our actions. It ought to be a motivational force that drives us every day. As we get up, we begin to think about what it is that God has in store for us on this day and how we can best glorify Him through those events. We serve the Lord. We seek to accomplish the work that God has purposed for us to do. We, we work at it. We make an effort. Uh, Jesus said, I've accomplished that that work. I have served you in the manner in which you sent me to serve. And then finally, I'm, I just want to throw in this word sacrifice. The word or the, the, the work that, that God gave me to do. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came <clears throat> For the purpose of dying on that cross. Again, to satisfy God's wrath, to take away our sin. And that's what he did. And it involved not only service, but sacrificial service. Again, he paid the ultimate price. He laid down in literal fashion his life for us. He, he was our, 
our sacrifice, our sacrificial lamb, that, that spotless lamb of God who gave his life for us on the cross. This was the work that God gave him to do. And the work that God has given us to do will require sacrifice on our part and perhaps even suffering. And for some, it may even require death. Do you know there are Christians all over the world that die every year simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ? Their determination to follow Jesus, to carry out the work that he had entrusted to them, and they give their lives in the pursuit of that. I know it's an unusual thing here in the United States. But if you are actually doing the work that God gave you to do, then you're going to be making a sacrifice. Probably the most well-known word in the New Testament is the word love, agape. People that don't have any idea about the Greek language, they know that word and they know it in the Greek. Agape. It's agape love. We talk about it all the time. That word, agape, love, it, it implies sacrificial service. In other words, it's not a noun. It's a verb. It speaks of Effort being made, sacrificial effort. Again, as Jesus said, a denying of ourselves, a taking up of our cross and following Him. Sacrifice for the benefit of others. That's what agape love is. When Jesus tells us to love one another, that's what He's saying. Lay down your lives for one another. Consider the interests of your brothers and sisters in Christ more important than your own interests. Serve one another, love one another, sacrifice for one another, suffer for the body of Christ. The accomplishment of the work God the Father had given God the Son would culminate in his sacrificial death on the cross. That's what he was talking about. That's what he was facing. That was what was before him in these moments as he prayed this Prayer And there on the cross, the love of God would be displayed as Jesus laid down his life for all who would believe in his name. Again, as Jesus prays to glorify God, that God might be glorified in him, there is no event in history where the character and nature of God is revealed any more accurately than the death of Jesus on the cross. I mean, there we see the love of God, the grace of God, the justice of God. We see God manifested through the death of his son. John writes in his first epistle, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, if you want to see a clear picture of the love of God, well, it's, it's that God sent his son, his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's where God is seen most clearly in the life and death of his son, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, following that verse, it says, beloved, and he speaks to us, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So in other words, if, if the love of God was made most clear, was manifested most clearly through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that's how you glorify God. John says, we need to love one another like that. Our love should be sacrificial if we're to glorify God.
So, that's the earthly glory that Jesus is talking about. I believe that's the earthly glory that you and I can give to God. How do we obey Paul's instruction to do everything, everything that we do due to the glory of God? Again, by submitting ourselves to the Lord and to His Word, by serving Him in the manner that He has gifted us and called us to serve Him, by sacrificing our lives for one another. Again, we can't die for anyone's salvation, but we can certainly lay down our lives for those that we love. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And in so doing, he calls us to glorify God. And then there's this idea of eternal glory. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This this eternal glory. God has always been glorious. And of course, we find out here that before the world existed, God the Son was there with God the Father. Co-equal, co-eternal, glorious as God the Father. The Jews have a word for this kind of manifested glory. It's not a biblical word, but it's a word they, it's it's called Shekinah. You've heard that, right? The Shekinah glory of God. Uh, The Jews use that word to refer to the visible manifestation of God's presence or his glory. For instance, in 1 Kings 8, verses 10 and 11, Solomon was dedicating the temple. uh, And the Bible speaks of the Shekinah, again, doesn't use that word, but the, the glory of God filling the temple. The Jews would say the Shekinah glory of God, the manifested glory of God. The glory of God that could be seen by us. And simply says this, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So this, this glory, again, we see that glory in the, in the pillar of fire uh, by night, the pillar of cloud by day that led the, the, the nation of Israel through the wilderness for those 40 years. That was the manifested presence of God. It was something that could be seen. So there's that kind of glory. Jesus is praying for that kind of glory. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Uh, this, this radiant or radiating glory of God. You know, we speak of God, the Bible speaks of God as being clothed with light. Uh, we get little glimpses of it. It was the, the Shekinah glory of God that caused the seraphim to, to cover their faces. Remember in, in, in uh, Isaiah's scripture, Isaiah 6, talks about the seraphim having six wings, with two it flew, with two it covered its face, right? It was there in the presence of God, and that Shekinah glory of God caused it to shield its face, its eyes, from the glory. It was the Shekinah glory of God that blinded Saul on the road to Damascus. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the Shekinah glory, this this visible manifestation of God's presence. Glorify me in your own presence. Jesus knew where he was headed. Yeah, he was headed to the cross. And he was headed to an an agonizing death. But that wouldn't be the end, right? I mean, he'd be taken down from that cross by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, buried in that tomb, and then three days later he was going to rise from the dead. And let me tell you, he knew it. He knew it. And he knew that 40 days after that, he would ascend back to the the Father to take his seat at the right hand of God. He knew it. 
Glorify me in your, your presence with that glory that I had with you before the world existed. And let me say, this, this, this glory, this eternal glory, it's a shared glory. I, I've already used the words co-eternal, co-equal. God the Son has existed for every bit as long as God the Father. Eternally. And, and we can throw in God the Holy Spirit too. The, the triune God has always existed. And they shared in this Trinitarian relationship, this love for one another, this satisfaction with one another, this, this glory was shared among the Godhead. So when Jesus is praying that this, he's, he's asking that the glory that he once shared with the Father throughout all eternity, that he emptied himself of during his incarnation, would be restored. You know, we wonder sometimes and we debate, what was it exactly that Jesus emptied himself of, you know, when he came to earth? Well, he emptied himself of, of this glory because he's asking that it be restored. The glory that I had with you before the world existed, I want to be glorified again with that kind of of glory. So this, this shared glory, and what's interesting about this, we know that God answers this prayer, right? Because not only <clears throat> did Jesus rise from the dead, but he rose from the dead in a glorified body, a body that would never die again. And again, we don't know as much about that body as we would like to, but there's some, it was quite a body, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus could kind of come and go at his pleasure. He wasn't always recognized by people who saw him. Uh, it was this glorified, resurrected body. So Jesus received that from the Father. I mean, he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father as a glorified man. Think about that for a minute. I mean, God is spirit. Jesus is a man, the man Christ Jesus. He's, he's there at the right hand of the Father in a glorified, resurrected body. And we know because of the teaching of the New Testament, what that does for us, it assures us that one day we too will be glorified in the presence of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Just as Jesus received a glorified body, we're going to have a glorified body one day. Uh, we're going to share in the glory of the Godhead. I mean, that, that, that's just, it's, it's, it's unimaginable to me. I, I can't even bring myself to... To, to, it's just hard to wrap your brain around that, how we could be glory, how we could have a resurrected body. And yet we know that's the truth. We're going to share this glory of our Heavenly Father in our resurrected bodies. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you then before the world existed. There's still some mystery to all of this, isn't there? This glory is kind of a shrouded Glory. We don't know all about it that we would like to. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, of course, very familiar passage of Scripture. says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, then when Jesus returns, 
Now I know in part, Paul says, but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We're going to know what this glory is. We're going to know what this glorified body is all about. We're going we're to see Jesus for who he is. You know, that's kind of the, the message of our Sunday school lesson this morning, right? Jesus was allowing the disciples there in the boat to get a, another glimpse of who he really is, of his omnipotence, his power to be able to, to rebuke the wind, to speak to the sea, be still. We're still like the disciples. Now, we have a much better idea or should have a much better idea than the disciples did about who Jesus is, who God is. But one day, one day we'll know fully. Uh, And that truth concerning our future glorification and our knowledge of what that means should cause us now To live in such a manner that every day, with everything that we do, every word that we speak, the goal should be to bring honor and glory to God. So let me just ask you this morning, if this prayer is an indication of the desire of Jesus' heart, what's the desire of your heart today? Do you desire, as he did, to glorify God? You know, that's the, the reality is. If it is, if your desire today is to glorify God, then the reason for that is because you've been saved. You've been born again. God has done a work in you. He's changed your heart. He's really given you a new heart, the scripture says. New desires. So that's the answer to the question. If you're struggling with the reality of your salvation, do I really know Jesus? Ask yourself that question. What's the desire of my heart this morning? And if you can say honestly that the desire of your heart is to love the Lord, obey the Lord, serve the Lord, honor the Lord, glorify the Lord, even though you may not be doing that perfectly because none of us do, if that's the desire of your heart, it's because you've been born again. You're a Christian. Your faith is real. But if you ask yourself that question and the answer to that question is not to glorify God, then you need to turn from your sin this morning. Repent. Receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. He'll change your heart. He'll give you a new desire this very moment. So, follow the Lord with all your heart. And if you have not yet turned to Christ as Savior, do so today. Repent and receive Him.